I hope you all know how fortunate we all are. Can I tell you how many phone calls we get when people move away from Los Angeles and wind up in some other part of the country and give us a call and say, hey, do you know of any other churches in Michigan or wherever they move that have music like Bel Air? And a lot of times we don't necessarily have an answer for them. We are so fortunate. Thank you so much. And Adam, man, you just... Awesome to have you back. Well, a lot has changed in our lives since the last time that I preached. The most obvious thing is that we have a little girl named Carissa, almost four months old, right over there. Our first little baby, and uh, this is her first cold, and it's all stuffed up. But I tell you what, there is hope in this, because I have noticed already that she is a future kung fu movie star. Now, how do I know that? Because when a baby has a stuffy nose, you have to take that bulbous-type-looking thing and try to stick it in their nostril and suck the mucus out. <laughs> Unbelievable. What a, what a, and gosh, what a tremendous blessing. As a parent said to me the other day, did you have any idea that your heart could contain so much love as a parent? And I, I didn't. Uh, the second thing is, I remember over about two and a half years ago when this service was in Evans Chapel, standing up at the, in front of about 500 people with Monica and sharing with the group that I had finally fulfilled my lifelong dream of getting a job as an airline pilot. And I was so excited that day, and it wasn't long after that that I was getting ready to go off to training, and my dad and I were having a discussion. And he said, son, congratulations, but I must tell you just honestly that I predict for the record that you will do this for a short season, and then you will find that it really isn't what you're supposed to be doing long term. And that was one of those classic father-son moments where you think your dad is a bonehead. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I said, Dad, I worked so hard for this. This is it. And besides, I'm still going to be at the church part-time, so don't worry about it. And you know what? It was probably probably six or seven months ago, in the midst of doing these just beautiful sunset approaches into Monterey, uh, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, San Diego, Fresno. Not really. Um, <laughs> there is this growing emptiness in my heart and I would just be in the hotel or something going you know what this is it is fun to fly an airplane 400 miles an hour but so what and Monica and I just started praying coming coming before the Lord and saying Lord okay you have our our hearts we think but what would you what would you have for us and it wasn't too long after that that the founder of a school called Oaks Christian School right here in Westlake Village. And my buddy Matt over here is wearing his shirt too. And one of our teachers, Aaron, who's an English teacher and leads all kinds of kids and world mission stuff, uh, founder of the school called me and said, uh, Jim, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> Come be the chaplain of our school. And that was so far off my radar screen. As we were praying, we were praying for pastoral positions at a church and uh, this came out of nowhere. 
And I've been on the staff there for a month now and am learning so much and have so much more to learn. But uh, a, a huge change, and, God, and Monica and I are just so thankful for that opportunity the Lord has given us. We're still part-time here. This is still our church family, and we are grateful. I would like to share a story with you from World War II. In January of 1945, the U.S. government decided to embark on perhaps the greatest rescue mission in all of U.S. military history. The war, the, the war was winding down. The Pacific Campaign uh, was winding down, and the Japanese, realizing that they were eventually going to be defeated, were getting desperate. What were they going to do with all these POWs? And reports came back in that U.S. POWs were being simply massacred, burned to death, shot to death, whatever it might be. There was one particular camp in Cabanatan that held 500 people in the Philippines, And some of the military commanders said, these guys have been POWs for three years. When we got out of the Philippines a few years before that, we abandoned these guys. We cannot let these guys be massacred. We have to go in and get them. But it was an an extremely, extremely dangerous mission, 30 miles behind enemy lines. And so a group of men went in, caught the Japanese completely off guard, and went into the camp, found these 500 men, barely alive, saying, we are here to free you. Get out the main gate. How would you have responded if you were one of those POWs? Well, I will tell you in a little bit how these men responded, who had been held captive for three years and seen many of their friends die, either by execution or perhaps even starving to death, malnutrition. It relates to a passage that I want us to read this morning out of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. And as you're turning there, I would ask a question of you. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. I'm going to be reading out of a little different version, the NIV instead of the NRSV, but you should be able to follow, no problem. The question I have for you is this, and I don't care where you are in your spiritual, spiritual journey with God, with Jesus Christ, But if God were trying to get your attention, saying, I want to use you to do something significant for my kingdom, to make a difference in my kingdom, would you know it if God were trying to get your attention? And then if you were aware of the opportunity, would you say yes? In other words, if God hit you on the head with a two-by-four, would you know what hit you? And then once you realize what hit you, Would you say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. That song that Adam led us in, out of Isaiah 6, I see the Lord, seated on the throne, exalted. The last part of that, when Isaiah sees his own sinfulness and sees a holy God, he finally says, here I am, Lord, send me. Would you be like that? I want to read a story to you about a, a man and a woman who do exactly just that. Luke chapter 2, verse 21, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, He was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. So many people, when they look at the Jesus movies, whatever movies come out, we usually see the story of Jesus being baptized. And the Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove. For whatever reason, the movies leave out the circumcision. (laughs) But I think we quickly forget 
Christianity has its roots deeply within Judaism. And Mary and Joseph, being obedient Jews, take him on the eighth day to go get circumcised. Yes, at least once in Jesus' life, he did cry. Verse 22, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every first male, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So you get the scenario. They are going as devout Jews. Obeying the law of the Lord, giving in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, to offer up your firstborn to the Lord and to make sacrifices for him. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation literally meaning the salvation or the deliverance of Israel. From the time that the last prophet in the Old Testament Hebrew Bible has spoken to the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, there have been 400 years of silence from God. And perhaps while many Jews were saying, God is dead, where is he? He has abandoned us. There was at least one devout and righteous man that said, I am still waiting for the Messiah to come. It had been revealed to him, I said, well, it says, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Your version might say, and rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Cute little baby. And like it's so common here, an elderly person goes, Oh, what a cute baby. Let me hold your baby. To which Mary and Joseph responded, Have you washed your hands? <laughs> but perhaps knowing that this was an act of God, they hand him over. And can you get the picture here? In the temple courts, this total stranger coming up and saying, Give me your baby. And of all the things to say, listen very carefully to what he says. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. Listen to that carefully, because if you read throughout the book of Luke, there are many people who are looking at Jesus and they don't see salvation. They see someone who is ruining the religious system. Luke chapter 5, when Jesus wants to heal the paralytic... And before healing him, he says, your sins are forgiven. People don't say, oh, great, salvation. They go, no, no, no. How can you as a mere man say that sins are forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. And that's when Jesus says, you're right, talk is cheap. Your sins are forgiven, but I tell you what else. Take up your mat and walk. And he heals him. Why do you see it later when Jesus, in the book of Luke, catches up with the rich young ruler? And this guy feels very righteous before Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 I don't have your whole heart. Sell everything that you own and come follow me. And the man turned his back on salvation and walked away. You see, story after story after story in the book of Luke who look at Jesus and walk away. But this guy is different. He doesn't even really see a miracle worker. He sees a baby. 
He sees a baby and he says, You are my salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. This is where the blessing turns a little strange. You won't necessarily hear these words many times during an infant baptism or a baby dedication. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Usually when we say a prayer for a baby up here who's getting baptized, or if you've been to some other church where they're dedicating a baby, Lord, protect this baby, use them, this, that. But hardly ever will you hear the pastor say, I just got a prophetic word here that your daughter or your son is going to be a very controversial figure. Because your son or daughter will cause people to make a decision about me every time they look at him or her. And then he even said to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. And I think that means a few things. Besides seeing her son die, also realizing that she never really, truly owned Jesus. When he's 12 years old and they're lost, and she finally runs into Jesus at the temple and she scolds him and says, where were you? He says, didn't you know I'd be here in my father's house? Or another time he heals a demon-possessed person in the book of Luke. And some lady blurts out, Blessed be the mother who bore you and nursed you. And all the moms in here would say, Amen to that, right? And Jesus, instead of saying, Yeah, you know what? I've got a great mom. He said, No, blessed be the one who hears my word and obeys it. He just never really was quite mama's boy. He was out on his own mission. And so Simeon gives this blessing and this very prophetic word about Jesus. Even right after this, a prophetess by the name of Anna walks in, who had been widowed for probably at least 60 years and had devoted her life to nothing but prayer and fasting in the temple. And she too, at that right moment, is moved by the Spirit and comes in and says a blessing upon Jesus as well. And I just want to show you three quick things about these two characters in this story. The first thing is, with Simeon, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And I just want to let you know that theologically, you need to know, and realistically, that if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that was upon Simeon and upon Anna is upon you as well. John the Baptist said, I am not the Messiah, (coughs) but he who is coming, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. But he will come and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We have that same Holy Spirit upon us. But what do we do with it? What do we do when the Holy Spirit tries to prompt us to do something, to make a difference in his kingdom? Notice also it says that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Imagine that one big dream that everybody has in here. And it might be anything from someone saying, I just want my rebellious son or daughter to come back, to I just want to get out of debt, to I just want the cancer to go away, 
to I just want to make it in Hollywood and prove to all my relatives back in the Midwest or East or the South that I wasn't crazy by moving out here and having everything I own in my Hyundai. (laughs) Can you imagine if God just gave everybody's dream just like that? Just fulfilled every single one of them. Well, his dream was to see the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit somehow, it doesn't say exactly how, but somehow had revealed to him that he would see it before he died. And then finally, what does it say about him? He was moved by the Holy Spirit to go into the temple. And the text does not say why I'm moving you to go into the temple. He was just supposed to go and he did. And there is Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Do you see how this man, and as well with Anna, how they were so receptive, how their antenna was up, how their radar was on, so that what God wanted to do something through them, they were able to hear. They were able to hear. I believe there are four types of people in here when it comes to responding to God. When God's trying to get our attention and do something for his kingdom. First of all, there are some of you in here who are, I think, are great examples of Simeon's and Anna's. Your heart is there. The Lord truly does have your heart. And when God prompts you to do something or recognize something to make a difference in people's lives for his kingdom, you get it. And you respond and you act. There are people like that all over this church. Some of you are going to be here at 6.30 this week in the morning filling up Thanksgiving baskets. And feeding hungry people. There's a guy here named Bill Smith. He's a frail, elderly gentleman that drives a a little red Miata. And every week he comes up here and he takes donated clothes and canned foods and things of that nature, stuffs it into his Miata, goes into the inner city and gives it to the poor. I've never seen someone fit so much stuff in a Miata. (laughs) It's almost as if the Lord just multiplies the cubic inches in this car. It's one of those clown cars where you just open the door and just stuff keeps just coming out the side. There are so many people here. I could, I could, just, I could just go on and on and on and on and on. Uh, Allison and Travis, you saw up here being ordained as deacons. You know what? They're not being chosen as deacons because they're good committee members. In fact, I know for a, I know for a fact that Travis would be a lousy committee member. But people who are actually supposed to be the hands and feet of God and to love people and to serve and to be Jesus in the flesh? Absolutely. Nice choice, Brenda. There are people like that here. And you know what? We need you. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep being examples to all of us. Maybe you're not the one who has necessarily moved right away and sensitive because you know what? You underestimate your own value. You underestimate yourself. Like, Lord, no, no, no. You don't. Like Simeon, Simeon and Anna, those are like godly, righteous, devout people. I am not godly. I am not righteous. And the last thing I am is devout. I don't pray very much. I've never fasted. Um, I don't spend a whole lot of time in the church or the temple or whatever. So, Lord, I, I, I'm just not the right person. You need to find someone else. Oh, how you're missing the boat. For the person who would humble themselves before God and say, hey, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot here except that I want you to use me. Do you know what God can do with that? 
These men who went in on this rescue mission, they were the very first U.S. Army Rangers. It's the 6th Army Ranger Battalion. So you would think that these men had been trained from day one to be these incredible commandos that could storm a POW camp, get everybody by, get the enemy by surprise, and safely deliver 500 POWs, right? Wrong. These men had been originally the 98th Field Ar- Ar- Artillery Battalion Pack. Anybody know what these guys did? They worked with asses. They worked with mules and donkeys. And what they were supposed to do is they were these big, burly farm boys from the Midwest and from the South that would load artillery on these mules and carry them through mountainous regions. And you know what? They hated their jobs. Because what do mules and donkeys do? They don't do what you want them to do. They kick. They spit. They bite. And finally, the U.S. Army decided... Okay, this really isn't working that well. You know what? We'll make you into a commando squad, and we'll call you the Army Rangers. <laughs> That's who these guys were that went in and did this. They had one year of training. One year. That was it. And I'll tell you later what happened with them and how I believe God used these brave men. So you might be one that has moved and you're doing a great job, you might be one that underestimates yourself. The third person is, you know what? The electricity isn't even on the radar. The power switches to off and you're virtually dead. And if a two-by-four hit you, you wouldn't know what hit you because you are distracted and deceived. What do I mean by that? Jesus, later on in the book of Luke, tells a parable how the gospel goes out, and how a sower, a farmer, spreads out seed. And some of the seed falls upon soil, and it starts to grow, but it gets choked out by thorns. And And Jesus says, the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth, not wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth, chokes it out and makes it absolutely useless. And there are some of us in here who wrestle with this all the time. And we are so busy trying to accomplish what we think are good things, what we think other people want us to do, what we think what other people will respect us for, and we are so distracted and so deceived that we have no earthly clue that God perhaps wants to use us for a different agenda. Are you one of those people? Remember how I asked you, how do you think these men responded? Army Rangers completely obliterate the prison guards. They storm through. These prisoners, when all the guns and bombs and everything, grenades were going off, mortar fire, of course, they had no idea what was happening. So everybody hid. Everybody ducked for cover. There were literally men cramped down in latrines trying to make sure they wouldn't get hit. Well, finally, the rangers made their way in and they basically said, this is a rescue mission. There is the main gate. Go out that way. Freedom is that way. 
there were a surprisingly large number of men who refused to move. They were so held in their bondage. They were so wrapped up in their fear. They were so accustomed to living as prisoners that when the freedom came, they didn't even recognize it. Actually, you know what? One of the things that scared most of the men, scared them a lot, they had never seen an army ranger. Because when they first went into the war, the the rangers hadn't been invented. And these guys were saying, we're U.S. Army Rangers. We're U.S. Army Rangers. We're here to save you. Yeah, what's that? And these guys, they've been starving to death for three years. So here they are. They're living in these little 100-pound, 80-pound shells. Here are these 250-pound farm boys from Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. They were scared to death. They did not even recognize people who were coming into their lives to change their lives and offer them freedom. And I think that's how some of us are when God says, I want to use you, I want to free you from these selfish desires that really can't fulfill anything anyway. There's the main gate, follow me. And we say, no, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I think this is where it's at. And you will find, like every single other person in history, that what you accomplish will not amount to a hill of beans. Now, eventually, every single POW got the picture. But a large number of them had to literally get a boot up their butt to get them out the main gate. They were being that stubborn, that afraid. And God loves you so much that in a way, He might even offer some kind of pain to you to get your attention. Whatever it takes. Because that's how much he loves you. The toughest thing that Monica and I have gone through so far in these short four months is her two-month checkup. And they gave Carissa shots. And it's just one of those, you kind of see this cry for the first time that you've never seen before where, you know, Carissa's mouth is wide open, no sound is coming out, and the crocodile tears just start to pour and even though we know, we know darn well that that short, temporary pain is to be worthwhile to her for the rest of her life, still doesn't make it easy for us to watch and see that. And I think that that's how God feels about us sometimes when he has to allow us to choke on what we are seeking so that we'll finally be broken where he gets our attention. Are you virtually dead? So the power switch turned off. Last thing is this. You might be missing God's attention getters simply because you have never given your life to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And my question to you is this. What are you depending on to save yourself? Last week in Christianity 101, we were talking about world religions. Every religious system that at least believes in deity, or many deities, recognizes this universal principle of separation. Good God here, sinful people over here. What do we do to get sinful people reconciled with a holy God? Every religious system, with the exception of one, says you must do, you must do certain good things to get over here. You must do, you must do, you must do, you must do. And in the end, just maybe, maybe 
you'll make it. There is one faith, though, not religion, faith, that does not hone on the word do, but the word done. Where Jesus Christ has done the work for us to bridge that gap that is there as a result of our sin. And if you have never recognized that and never put your faith in the fact that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again from the dead to prove that he is God, to prove that his sacrifice truly did pay for your sins, then you will never, ever, ever recognize the voice of God in your heart to do something significant for his kingdom. It all starts with simply a moment of saying, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. Come Come into my life. You do have my heart. Thank you for giving me eternal life. And if you have never done that, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting to get to hell to find out that you were wrong? I'm serious. And I hate talking about that. But it is true. It is not a fairy tale. Sometimes I wish it were. But from what I see in the Bible, it's not a myth. It's not figurative language. It is a literal place. And only a loving, holy God would send his only son to die for us so that we would not have to go there forever. So which one of those people are you? Whatever it comes down to, it comes down to this one question that I want us to just think of for the rest of our lives. And it's the one question that some mornings I wake up thinking and other mornings I don't because I'm deceived and distracted. And I'm busy trying to conquer my world and this and that and get things done. But the question is this. Will you simply wake up in the morning and as crazy and hectic as this world is and this city is, Lord, you have my heart. What are you going to do through me today to make a difference in your kingdom? Simple question. Start your day like that. Turn the power switch to on. And see if the Holy Spirit can reveal anything to you, move you to do something to make a difference for his kingdom. When the U.S. military decided that they wanted to carry out this mission, the big question was, who do we send in? Who do we send in? And don't you know that with the egos that there are in the military, there were a lot of people saying, I want that mission, I want that mission. It actually went to Lieutenant Colonel Henry Musi, who had personally trained these former mule skinners for one year. Everything he asked these guys to do, run with this pack, whatever, this distance, he did right along with them as a 31-year-old man. When it came time to give him the mission, he met with his men. And he said, gentlemen, we're getting ready to embark on perhaps the most dangerous rescue mission in U.S. military history. And a good, there, there's a good possibility that many of you, if you go on this mission, will not come back alive. So I am here to tell you right now, if you are a dad, if you are a husband, you can graciously bow out right now and no one will question your courage or your bravery. But I only want men to come on this mission who feel lucky. So make your decision. One, two, three.
all these meal skinners. No one moved. And these men with pride looked at each other. And Musi said, Okay, get ready. Because in 30 minutes, we're going to have a church service. And I will not take a single atheist with me. And at this church service, I want you to get on your knees and pray and make an oath and promise before God that you will give up your lives before you allow any more harm to come to these men. And in 30 minutes, they had a church service. 120 men making a promise before God that they would change the lives of over 500 men. You know that in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, after Jesus had given these incredible commands, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. After he gave these incredible commands, in other words, go change the world for me, for my kingdom, go make a difference. Before email, transportation, cars, airplanes, trains, go change the world. He ascended. He was gone. These Christians now, looking around at each other, going, what do we do now? And somebody probably said, I think he said something about, go make disciples of all the nations. This prayer meeting is officially over. You know how many people were in that room? 120. Here we are today. What seemed perhaps impossible... Look what God has done today. You know, sometimes when I hear Mark Brewer say, I just want Los Angeles to be known as a Christian city. Are you like me and sometimes you sit there in the pier and just go, dude, what have you been smoking? <laughs> I mean, did the mountain air do something to you in Colorado or something? But you know what? I thank God for a senior pastor who is willing to trust God for big things. Who knows? There are 120 people in here who would just say, here I am, Lord. Send me. As your ushers come forward for this morning's offering, would you please pray with me? Lord, if there is anybody here who is at that fork in the road and looking at Jesus and trying to figure out, do I want salvation? Do I want this man who died for my sins in my life to take over my life and who has promised eternal life? Lord, I pray as that person is now at that fork that they would choose you. That they would put their faith in you by perhaps saying in the quietness of their own hearts, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Forgive me that I have not placed my faith in you sooner, but here I am, flaws, sins, and all. I give you my life and thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving me eternal life. And Lord, for all of us, no matter where we are, where we have been, may our prayer be, Lord, here I am, send me. Amen.